are listening to the Dover Podcast, brought to you by Dover Spark Lab. I'm Tech Sergeant Laura Beckley, and with me today we have Chaplain Major General Stephen A. Scheich, who is the Chief of Chaplains at Headquarters Air Force, located in the Pentagon in Virginia. Uh, we also have Chief Master Sergeant Robert Jackson, who is the Religious Affairs Senior Enlisted Advisor, who have come to visit us today. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Sergeant Beckley. Great to be here. Awesome. So... Let's talk a little bit about your job. So basically, you're a member of the special staff for uh, or special staff of the chief of staffs, and you are establishing guidance and providing advice on matters pertaining to religious and moral welfare of Air Force personnel. Is that kind of in a nutshell what you do? Uh, yeah, sort of. That's the official answer. That <laughs> really what Chief and I do is uh, we, we organize, train, and equip a chaplain corps of about 2,000 people around the world who are getting after religious freedom and uh, and quite frankly as our vision statement says uh, waking up every day trying to care for airmen more than anyone thinks possible. Really? Oh, I like that. And uh, Chief, what's kind of your role as a senior en enlisted advisor for that? So on the enlisted side, take care of the religious affairs airmen. So I'm also dual hatted as the career field manager mm -hmm. um, for, for the religious affairs career field. Um, but as a senior enlisted advisor to the chief of chaplains, just given that voice, lending that enlisted voice to our senior officer leader of the chaplain corps. These sound like complicated jobs. Is it, uh, is it pretty straightforward or is every day kind of a roller coaster? Uh, every day is pretty much a roller coaster. <laughs> we, we love what we do. Uh, much of what we do is, is pretty straightforward, but as you might imagine, there's always some sticky things going on. Uh, religious freedom is not everyone's passion. Mm. And and so um, so we get after get after some of that, but uh, for the most part, uh, we've got an amazing team and some really committed commanders around the world that that want to make sure that uh, that not just the religious freedom needs of their airmen are cared for, but the airmen are cared for uh, in some in some personal deep way with uh, with the confidential kind of communications that we offer. Yeah, absolutely. I have to imagine that both of those roles require a lot of talent and skill and trying to build trust with a variety of different people. Is that kind of accurate or? No, absolutely. Because I mean, you, you know, trust is a foundation for so much. Um, and when you look at if somebody at the tactical level might be struggling or they're trying to, um, you know, get somebody to hear their voice, they need to be able to go to somebody that their voice is going to be heard and that they trust. And if it cannot be a chaplain or a religious affairs airman that they trust, um, and, and really share whatever it is that's on their heart or on their minds, then we're really mission ineffective at that point. I tell our young chaplains too, when you walk into an organization, you know, walk into a maintenance, uh, maintenance bin or, 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 or uh, supply uh, office, uh, just walk in there basically thinking, I have, uh, I have no credibility here, I have no trust. I haven't earned their trust yet, uh, and, and just make it your goal to, to earn that. And that's actually, honestly, what I wanted to talk about is how do you do that? Like, we have this this hot topic of we have to be, you know, more connected. We have to know our people. We have to have trust with them. We have to trust them, and they have to trust us. But, like, how do you actually do that? How have you guys, um, throughout your career, seen trust built within an organization? I, it starts with really being who you are. I mean, being, being sincere and being real um, and, and not, 
trying to, you know, just put a voice to it. Uh, I'm, I'm here for you or I'm here for your concerns. And then when that concern is brought to your attention, then you blow it off or you don't actually act on it. Or, you know, someone has to come back to you and, re- and remind you, hey, do you remember that conversation we had? And you're like, oh, yes, because you all get busy in mission. And, and so it's really just, you know, having those moments and building relationships that are genuine you know, we talk about it with our with our chaplains and our religious affairs airmen that are embedded in the units. Uh, to Chaplain Shike's point, you know, they they walk in the door and the trust the trust levels at zero. Mm-hmm. So then, as you start building those meaningful relationships and you actually start having conversations, personal conversations, not necessarily just about the mission, but personal conversations with people, and you start being a little bit of vulnerable, you know, and that's going back to what I said, you know, just being who you are, and and being a little bit vulnerable with somebody as a leader. Um, and, and having some sympathy and having some, some empathy with them uh, when they're having a struggle in their life or they just may not understand something or the, the why. Um, you know, kind of that's to me is the foundation of it. You know, our, our airmen are extraordinary actors and actresses. They, they go through the day uh, playing their roles, the happy face, the all's, all's well. Um, you know, life is, life is awesome gig when in fact many of our airmen are, are hurting deep inside. And they're, and they're daring us as leaders to, to find me, to, to find me. And, um, and 136 times last year, we, we failed. 136 year, times last year, airmen died uh, because no one found them before their, their hurt, their disappointment, their extraordinary pain uh, was, was uncovered by someone who leaned into him and said, hey, um, you're not looking yourself today. What's what's happening? Yeah, uh, I mean, positive relationships and, and knowing people well enough not to necessarily be up in their Kool-Aid, because I gotta be honest, I don't want my bosses to be off of my business either, but knowing my personality and my behaviors well enough to be like, wow, like, Beckley's really acting funny today. That's kind of weird, I wonder if something's going on. Um, I've, got a, I've got the luxury of having a smaller team. We have 14 people on the books, so I know most of the people I work with pretty well, like I know who their their spouses are, if they have kids, what they like, what their hobbies are. Um, so if someone's kind of like out of sync with their normal behaviors, it's pretty easy for us to spot. But I have to imagine that that gets so much more difficult when you're in a larger organization. How do people in those larger organizations kind of keep that pulse? I think within even within larger organizations, you still have almost, you have little micro relationships that happen. So if you're in a large maintenance squadron and or a large, you know, defender group for that matter, and you have thousands of defenders, you still have on flight a smaller number of airmen. And there's interaction that happens at a, at a much smaller level all the time within those larger organizations. And I think that's kind of the, the, the genesis of where those relationships build. And then those relationships then build onto other larger relationships within the unit. So I don't, I don't know that there's, there's always an advantage to being in a very small organization, a small shop, um, because you do get to see that and it's, it's much easier. But I think even within larger organizations, if you're out on flight or you're out on a shift or you're, you're turning on a jet, you're typically doing that with the same small core group of people day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so the struggle then becomes for the, the more senior leaders in those organizations to then lean into it and to build those relationships with the next layer down. 
that build relationships with that next layer down. Eventually, now you're, dr- you're drilling it down to that front level supervisor. And as you build that trust, both from the top down and then the, the bottom up, then that, that effectiveness within that organization starts showing up in that, that larger um, section that you, you see a little bit more rapidly because there's, there's also some, some negatives of the small organization. You know, when Chaplain Shake mentioned that, you know, we're all great actors and you can act your way through that as well in a, mm-hmm. in a small shop. And you they've can, done it. You, yes, they've got, they've tricked me before. And, and, you, and so you put on that facade and, and, and you, you know, you, you always go to that happy place when you, when you need to. Um, and it gets a little bit harder to cut through, mm-hmm. you know, and even in a small section. And chief and I talk about this a lot, just between two of us, but it's, uh, it's incumbent upon leaders to demonstrate what right looks like. Mm. And, you know, and now as, as a leader, I can't, I can't hear everyone's story every day. I can't, I don't have time to, to, to really lean into every airman I meet, but, you know, periodically to take a moment and, and, and just drill down and notice someone and, and let some, let an airman tell me his or her story. Um, the amazing thing about stories is, is it, uh, is that stories, first of all, inspire everyone. But secondly, most of our airmen, I'm convinced, don't even know their own story. Mm. And most airmen don't have never heard themselves tell their own story. And if they did, or if they had, they couldn't help but be encouraged by the fact, you know, there's a bunch of really crappy stuff I've made it through. I've, I've, I've climbed this mountain before and I can do it again. Yeah, I believe that, you know, with my work, I get to go and I get to interview a lot of people uh, and film them. And I I got to do this project with the 480th uh, Intelligence Surveillance Reconnaissance Wing. And those guys see some crazy stuff. Yes, they do. And they they can't talk to anybody about it. So when I was um, asked to go and tell their story, when I interviewed these airmen, and it it was airmen first class up to captains all the way through, they didn't know how to tell their story. And I was like, wow, that's... That's insane. How do you not know your story? Like what you do is so cool, but also so tragic right. and, you, and you don't know how to tell it. Um, I think that's an incredible point that sometimes it's about helping people find a way to tell their story, um, to build that trust. Um, the other thing about it that I thought was really interesting about what you said was that um, sometimes it's about hard conversations. And I think we talk about creating positive relationships to help build trust. Um, part of that is also modeling good conflict resolution. like relationships exist within conflict. There is going to be a problem. It's not, we're always happy or we're always okay. Sometimes we're not happy and sometimes we're not okay. You know, even in my own marriage, it's like, okay, now we got to work through this. Um, what's your perspective on that? Like within a, within a professional organization, how do we use conflict to create better trust? I think for me, it's, it's giving permission to have conflict. I mean, getting, giving permission to, to let conflict happen and, and, but yet as a leader, you know, kind of control, um, where that, where the, the kind of the right and the left limits are with that. Mm. I mean, because there's, 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 there's conflict that's, that's going to happen just because of, it may have been a, an unknown expectation, poor expectation management or, or expectation that was, that was perceived that you thought maybe they knew exactly what they should be doing on the shift and then the shift ends and you're like okay that's not not exactly what happened and then conflict ensues um you know so there's some of that 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 creeps up in the mission and then there's also you know with airmen there's personality conflicts Mm -hmm. and and it's it's working through those personality conflicts or those those mission conflicts as a leader and and really 
I guess not being afraid of it and not trying to just gloss over it and, and rush through some solution and, and then I guess give the solution. You know, I think our airmen, and I know this was that way when I was an airman, I wanted to be part of the solution. Because when you're part of the solution, now you're, you're empowered. Um, there, it's a very empowering moment to say, okay, my voice matters. And that goes right back to trust that someone actually listened to what I had to say. You may not like the outcome or the, or the outcome may not be, you know, the best for you individually, but it's, it's going to be the best for the organization. And you had a voice in that. You had a part in going from conflict to, you know, some calmness or some mission, you know, effectiveness that wasn't there before. And, and just really realizing that, you know, when we talk about diversity, diversity goes way beyond just what we look like and what we act like, but it's also the way that we think. Mm -hmm. And when you honor and you respect somebody for that diversity, um, you know, they're going to be empowered now to say, okay, I, I do have a voice in this unit. I do have a voice in this. I have a say in this. And they're going to, you know, maybe next time speak up a little bit quicker, um, react a little bit sooner than that avoids future conflict as well. Yeah, and as Chief said, you know, airmen want to be part of the solution. They, they, they really do. And they've got great ideas. And they know a lot more than most of us in leadership positions do about the, about the real problems. And, but they've never really been given permission to, to say, you know, let's put our cards on the table. Let's see what we got here. And, and let's have a hard conversation. Let's say things that might at least at first be hurtful to, 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 to others. But, but at least let's, let's have the conversation. Just talk and, and, and take a moment, put your cards on the table, look at them and say, all right, here's the mess. What do we do? How, how, how can you all help me? Uh, move this organization forward. And I think those hard conversations, uh, somebody just wrote a book about difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. It's a bestseller. Um, shouldn't have been, but it was. <laughs> and, and you know, the fact is, is that difficult and hard conversations are kind of a lost art, and uh, we need to get that back. We do. Uh, and it's, it's funny because um, the, the ability to use good judgment and expertise is a byproduct of those conflicts and it, it's the second element to to what i what what most people would re, would refer to as the elements of trust you know you have your positive relationships but then you as a leader if you want people to trust you you have to have good judgment and you have to have expertise uh and you don't just wake up with that it's it's a byproduct of okay i lived this i super screwed it up i figured out how to do it a little bit better um when we talk about good judgment and expertise it's almost like we're working that uh, almost as if it were a muscle and it and we work that muscle for leaders and for airmen because eventually they will be the leader what's your perspective on that well i would start talking about about feedback uh, which uh, is quite frankly a lost art as well and uh, we talk about feedback we we say we do feedback but in in reality and everybody knows this there's very little good actionable feedback taking place in in our air force and and that's you know that's unfortunate so 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 an airman telling another airman uh, a wingman say hey hey dude you know um did you did you you know that that didn't go over so well and uh or uh hey dude you know what what were you thinking and and have that conversation on the spot and and not wait for some supervisor you know, to correct something for, but for us to be willing to, to, to lean into each other and say, hey, dude, that, that wasn't, that wasn't very smart. Um, how do you think you could have done that a little better? 
and 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 have these moments uh, on a regular basis where we give each other feedback, both positive and and, um, and, and corrective when when necessary. I think it kind of goes back. You mentioned um, earlier that we we need to get back in the habit of viewing people as people and not necessarily mm-hmm. as products. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and Chief, we we were talking about this where the Air Force is is not going to fail. It's it's a part of our creed. Mm-hmm. You know, I will not fail. But sometimes intelligent failure is necessary. And I and I think that there's some risk aversion to failure and the value in doing that. Um, when we're when we're talking about failure and how important it is for building trust, like where is the correlation between that? Because the inherent reaction is no, don't screw anything up. Like, well, screw some things up intelligently. Right. Yeah. Because I think every time you know, for me as an airman, I didn't join the Air Force as a chief. I joined the Air Force as an airman basic, and and I can you know even even as a senior NCO, there's times where it's like you know I dork something up or I, I failed. Um, and it's it's realizing and having that mature outlook and 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 kind of stepping back from it and maturely dissecting it. it's like okay what went wrong and what did I learn from that and how do I apply that in the future or how do I apply that downward if I'm a senior leader because even as a chief I don't get everything right so as as I fail even today how is it what's that lesson learned so when my fellow chief calls me out it's like hey you is this really what you intended to do or is this what you intended us to do because this is what the outcome is and it's so far from where I thought it was going to go or what my you know expectations were and it's like wow that was a failed leadership moment and and I directed something in the wrong direction and and it's 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 having that that maturity that that intelligence to say you know what I've got to slow this down when I communicate it sounds great in my head and as soon as those words come across my lips, then it's gone, you know, because somebody else is going to receive the meaning, whether it's, you know, in context of the way that I am looking, the way that I approach it, you know, when I communicate. And so, you know, given our, our airmen, the, the operating space to realize as senior leaders or junior leaders, you know, the failure points and you know where they might creep in. And it's to walk your airmen down that it's okay to walk them down that line right up to the even the point of failure and maybe let them get hurt a little bit let i mean not not physically but you know in in the Safety's contents of over in their office exactly right now. Wow. you know not to the point where you know you know we're we're we're, we're in we're in a known um, violation point or whatever you know whatever yeah. the case is but it's like yeah okay let's let them try that and even if it's something, you know, the, one of the frustrations that I always had as an airman growing up is you, you get those crusty NCOs or senior NCOs like I am now and be like, yeah, we tried that before, so we're not going to try it again. Okay, times have changed. So maybe mm-hmm. let's try this again and, and maybe it will fail. Okay, but what did they learn from that? Because hopefully I learned something from that when it happened 10, 15 years ago. So, so what yeah. happened 10, 15 years ago? Um, <laughs> well, there's, there's a few failure points. <laughs> 10, 15, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I mean, it, it could be anything from the time where my first sergeant picked me up from security forces um, because I had a failure point as an airman um, and, and but being treated with respect and dignity and, and realizing that, you know, tomorrow is going to be the day that we deal with it, not at the moment. And and realizing, you know, for me, it's it's building, you know, I defined at that moment for me anyway, our character is defined how we react and what we do after the failure point. Not because of necessarily what we did or how we did it, 
but what did we learn from it? And that's where that character really starts showing up in our airmen and our, our NCOs and senior NCOs is as a, as a, you know, I look at it from a shop superintendent standpoint, are they allowing the space for people to, to lean into things and to, you know, and to innovate and to take risk and to, you know, try something or look at something from a new lens? Or are they just saying, no, the mission has to get done. This is a proven way of doing it. And this is how we're going to do it every single time. And not trusting the instincts of that young airman or that young NCO to say, yeah, but, mm-hmm. man, I know we can get this better. I know we can do this differently. And give them the space and give them some parameters to make mistakes and say, okay, now let's go back. What did we learn from that moment? And then reapply it to the next time. And we may fail again. And we're going to fail again. And we're going to fail again. And eventually we're going to get to a greater sense of success because now we, A, we know things that we don't need to be doing anymore because they didn't work. Um, but you can always find a better way to do things. You can always find, you know, a, a better system to apply, um, you know, to whatever the task at hand is. And just like Chief didn't enter the Air Force as a, as a chief, I didn't uh, enter the Air Force as a two-star. I I came in with no sleeves on my on my shoulder and and sleeve and no no stripes on my sleeve and and uh, when dinosaurs roamed the earth I was uh, I was an airman basic uh, knucklehead and and I was on a maintenance unit at the Luke Air Force Base and I I had a staff sergeant walk up to me and say hey you know what are you gonna do in the future and I thought he was crazy for asking the question I go I don't know and he said well you need to think about it and I said why and and he said because stupid you need to think about your future and. You need to think bigger than you're thinking. And, and he, he drilled into me. And Staff, Staff Sergeant Jim DeSantis later on went to become a chief, uh, chief master sergeant and, um, and quite frankly put me on the road to finishing my degree and, and eventually commissioning and, um, and, and now being where I'm at now. But, but, but it was a, a staff sergeant who leaned into uh, probably then an a- A1C uh, and said, um, uh, let me challenge you a little bit with uh, what you think your future is or what it could be. And I'll always be grateful for Staff Sergeant Jim DeSantis. And trusting you to make an intelligent decision about it. And even right. if it wasn't, he was probably going to be there to be like, nah, bro, we got to go a different direction. Right. This is not going to work out. That's right. You know, it's interesting because we, um, we talk about getting the mission done and how we can't let it fail. And, like, there's clear evidence that supports the intelligent failure on a spectrum. Like, if you're experimenting or hypothesis testing, that's good failure. We want those. That's where we get our best ideas from. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's, like, the negligent side. I didn't do my job just because I didn't do my job, or um, I screwed this up because I wasn't paying attention. Like those are those are times when we have to hold people accountable. Mm-hmm. And, and another key element to to building trust in organizations, it seems, is consistency. In that, you know, this this is my boundary. These are our go no go lines. And I I value who you are as a human being, and we're not going to put the mission, we're not going to require something of you that you obviously can't deliver. Like our airmen are dynamically different. They have different strengths and weaknesses. And I have some airmen that I'm like, if I give them this job, they're going to do awesome at it. And if I give this airman this job, they're not going to be so great because that's just not their strength. Um, so when we're talking about consistency and we're talking about that level of accountability for us, for our airmen, how do we, how do we establish good consistency that builds trust? I, it starts, first of all, with the with the individual that being consistent every day 
with what you say, how you act, how you react. You know, none of us want to have that supervisor or that leader that you have to wonder what their what their attitude or what their what kind of mood are they in today? Oh no, the whiplash supervisor. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, ooh, I don't want to talk to them today because they're not in a good mood. Mm-hmm. And that that right there is is an inconsistency. They're not consistent in the way that they they react, the way that they act around their subordinates. Um, so we we train everyone, whether we like it or not, how to treat us. And we do that through our actions and our reactions. What we say matters. And if you if you say you're going to do something, then you need to consistently do that. You know, one of the one of the best supervisors I ever had was also one of the hardest supervisors because she had an amazing high standard. But what I loved about her is that even though her high standard was amazing, it was consistent. Every day you knew. You knew exactly that if you were going to have a successful day at work, this is what it was going to look like. And here's the waypoints throughout your day. And at the end of the day, you got consistent, direct feedback. And, and for me, it was an environment that I could thrive in because it was. You, you, there was no surprises going into it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as a, as a leader, and, and we look at, you know, building trust across the organization, it, consistency in actions, reactions, and philosophies, and the way that you lead and the way that you, you know, react and, and, and act with your team matter. Because whether we like it or not, we're all kind of being judged. We judge and we're being judged. Constantly. Constantly. And, and so when we go in into a work environment and we are not consistent or we're not um, really truthful in, in what is happening or what needs to occur, um, our airmen, they see right through that instantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, instantly. And then it just, it's like, so then the, the next time you, you have and you've got to get something across the finish line that's going to be a little bit painful. Maybe we got to work a few extra hours. Maybe we've got to, you know, grind a little bit harder. Um, you've got to be able to be there. You've, your, your airmen have got to know that you've got their back. Yeah, we had, uh, Chief and I had breakfast with a senior airman this morning. And as we're uh, chewing on our eggs, uh, you know, we both kind of leaned in and said, uh, all right, uh, so, so in your mind, what, what makes a great leader? And, um, and I'll never forget what he said. I mean, he, was, he was brilliant. He was spot on. He said, you know, the leaders I most admire are the people that don't just sit in their office barking out orders, but they're, they're out there with us. And um, they can't be out all the time. They got, they've got other things to do. But uh, they're not afraid to roll up their sleeves and get out and lead from the front and, uh, and quite frankly, uh, get a little dirty once in a while, get in the, get in the muck and the mire of, of whatever the J-O-B is, and, and, uh, and, and just, just lead, lead from the front and be consistent about it. And, and not, not uh, you know, once a year to make, make yourself look good because the boss is coming by, but, uh, but, but no kidding, to, to not be above the most menial tasks uh, and, and, uh, and to lead from the front. Yeah, not being afraid to take out their own trash. Amen. Yeah. I've, uh, I've experienced that one as an airman, and that's something that I always try to do. I'm always like, don't take my trash out. I'll do it. And then my airmen always come and grab it for me. I'm like, stop doing that. And they're like, no, we got it. You're busy. I'm like, I'm never too busy to take care of my own garbage, guys. No. Um, but you're right. I mean, uh, the willingness, the authenticity to say this is who I am 
this is how I'm going to behave and this is what I expect of you guys um, is incredible for consistency. Because I, I have had the whiplash supervisors where they, they lack emotional intelligence and if they get triggered, oh boy, you better look out. It's going to be a hurricane master sergeant coming through and, it, and it's not a good time. Um, and it doesn't help anybody. It creates um, a level of unpredictability. Um, but I think something that I found has been the most effective, at least for my small organization, is taking the time to appreciate one another. Uh, my my major, she's currently deployed, she's amazing. Um, she started uh, once a month, we have like an admin Friday and we always kick it off with, hey, who's got kudoses for the team? And we let everybody go around and say, hey, I really appreciate Airman so-and-so because they did this for me and it was awesome. Um, what's your perspective on that? Like, we have a tendency to say, okay, these are the things we're doing wrong, here's our weaknesses, here's what we gotta work on. But is there value in stopping and saying, man, we, we killed this one, you guys did great. Like that appreciation model, is that is that valuable? I think most of our airmen are pretty much used to just getting schwacked and, <laughs> and not not uh, really being built up and, 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 uh, and thanked and, and, you know, so, it's it's hard, you know. We we've got big jobs to do. We've got a national security problem to solve, and 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 uh, and to take time to give out kudos it just isn't in the DNA of, of lots of our leaders. But but it needs to be, and it it's not it it's not all that time intensive. And and if you can take a knee once in a while, and as an organization publicly give give some praise uh, um, and have some fun with it, uh, you know that goes a long ways. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's coming from your peers, and it's not just you know the boss saying, "Oh, great job, guys," but it's it's like your your wingman who's saying, "Hey, I want to go out of my way to to tell everybody how you took care of me." Yeah, absolutely. Well, it it goes back to building that relationship because it, it's it's genuinely validating someone who's done something for someone else out of no self interest, um, just because it was the right thing to do. I mean, and and. And it happens every minute across the Air Force. And, and I think one of the issues that we have is, is because we have programs. We have recognition programs. So we kind of let the recognition program be the recognition program. And we don't take the time, as you mentioned, to say, you know, on a, on a weekly basis or a morning stand-up. So when you're doing stand-up, just, you know, why is it that someone can't say, you know what, Airman Smith really helped me this week, and I was struggling with whatever it is. It could be work, it could be relationships, it could be something at home life, it could be financial, whatever it is. And this is how they got me across the finish line. You know, and I just want to say thank you publicly, you know, and, and do that in that setting. And and we just, we don't take the time. And it takes seconds. It really takes seconds. But I will say too, I mean, you know, I have to realize it also takes some physical courage mm-hmm. to be able to do that in front of your peers. You know, because there's it, it isn't it isn't the norm. It's not a normative behavior. Because you know, it may sound a little dorky at first, right? It, it might. And it's gonna. It might. You know, might feel a little awkward, and it, and it is. So it's gonna take some physical courage. But I think as a, you know, as a leader, that's the challenge for them to to lead by example and do that first. You know, and and so that what is wrong with saying, hey, this is how somebody helped me, and I was struggling a little bit and being vulnerable. Yeah. You know, because I think when it comes to everything that we've talked about so far, building trust, you know, vulnerability is a huge thing. Yeah. And as senior leaders, we've got to be, I've got a story to tell as a chief. But, but uh, you know, sometimes I don't have the courage to do so because I'm a chief. 
and everybody looks at you differently. You know, it's like, wow. Um, and they don't realize sometimes that, yeah, I am a human with, with real human failures, with real human mistakes and, and not necessarily have the, the courage all the time that I need um, to really just to pause and say, hey, I wasn't doing well and here's where somebody helped me out. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's not simple at any level to, to do that. Um, and especially when you're in a position like you gentlemen are, it's, um, I think there's an expectation that you're supposed to be this certain figure. Chaplains are paid to be nice, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I've heard. Um, but at the same time, it's highly contagious. And any, any leader that sets this as the norm, and after you get through kind of the, 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 the awkwardness of that, it does become contagious. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife likes to say, uh, you'll catch more bees with honey. Mm-hmm. So every time I'm having a problem, like, oh, I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to, I'm going to tell them what's what. She's like, hey, just remember, you're going to catch more bees with honey. And I'm like, oh, God, you're right. <laughs> All right, I'll do it. Um, she's so much smarter than I am, though. So I'm always like, here's my problem. Tell me what to do. She's like, no, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> you got to figure it out. And that's leadership and that's relationship building. As we kind of circle back on this, we talked about like three major elements to building trust. And there's absolutely no one size fits all. Um, Smaller organizations can do one thing. Larger organizations are going to have to do something a little bit different. Um, But it seems like the prevailing theme is, you know, you've got to be able to build positive relationships by staying in tune with like who your people are and what their issues are, what their concerns are, but also being able to kind of balance mission sets with who your people are. Like, don't try to fit a square a square block into a round peg. It's just not gonna work. And nobody's, nobody's gonna trust each other in that kind of organization. You're expecting them to be someone they can't be. Um, not to say don't maintain standards, but help them succeed by putting them in the right places. And, and exercising good judgment as a leader and expertise. And it's about, you know, taking, rolling your sleeves up, going out on the flight line, helping Helping these guys, show them that, showing them that you still know how to turn a wrench or that you're not going to ask them to sweep the floor but not know where to find the broom. Um, and then consistency. Like, however however you are authentically as a human being, just maintain that. Don't try to be something that you're not. You know, it's um, it's like post-ALS graduation where <laughs> <laughs> all these new staff sergeants come out with this leadership theories and they try to be something that they're not and it usually flops. And then suddenly they will find their way. Um, don't get stuck in that post-ALS graduation, I'm trying to find myself phase, because it doesn't build trust. Um, is there anything that we haven't touched on that, that you gentlemen feel is like just really important to building trust in organizations outside of these three elements? I think the, the biggest thing, uh, I'd say that the biggest thing, but a, a thing, is taking the time to listen, mm-hmm. is, is really truly disconnecting and, and having an eye-to-eye conversation. And, and if it's a 30-second conversation or if it's a 30-minute conversation, it's just, you know, we, we, we are all busy. So everybody has that alibi. Um, so we're all busy, got it. But taking the time and pushing away from your desk or stopping what you're doing at that moment when that airman comes in and says, hey, do you got a second? Give them a second. And if you don't have a second or you don't have a minute to, to give them at that time, Still take the time to pause, to look them in the eye and say, you know what, right now I don't because I've got to get this done, but let me find you in five minutes. And I can tell you, you better find them in five minutes. Oh, yeah. You better find them in five minutes and give them that time and just take the time to remove the obstacles that, that might be in your way to have that genuine conversation with them and that genuine connection. 
and and we just we just simply don't do that well uh, across the Air Force. I know I don't. I don't. I, I don't either. I, I will sit there back in the Pentagon, and you know the the boss and I travel most of the year. Um, so so it's a it's a you know those fleeting moments where I'm actually at my workstation, where it's like okay I've got some stuff I better get done, and it's so easy for me and I and 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 I you know and I do fail at this from time to time, where I am buried in an email and my fingers are at the keyboard, and one of my senior NCOs comes say hey chief do you got a second, and they'll start talking and I will respond to them like I'm listening. And the reality is, I am not listening. I'm I'm hearing what's what's I hear words, and it's taken so the time to say, and remove you know remove your ID card from the computer, turn around and say, let's have a conversation. You're so right. Because quite frankly, there's nothing more important that leaders do is to uh, to care for their people. I'm I'm absolutely convinced, and the greatest leaders I've ever served under believe this with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They, they believe that if you take care of your people, the people will take care of the mission. And, and that, is a, that is a truth that's, that's played out for me now uh, for at least according to my LES for 40 years. So um, take care of your people and your people will take care of the business, the mission. And, um, and I, I'm not sure that I've ever heard it said more clearly. I agree with you. I actually had a really good mentor who would say that, and it's something that uh, I remind myself of every every day. Much like you said, sir, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm really going to go to work. It suck. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to wreck everything. Mm-hmm. That's not how that works. And taking care of the people means ta- taking care of the, the 10% knuckleheads at the bottom, too. And, mm-hmm. and you can't just let them slide. Uh, but uh, um, but to make sure that uh, you're, you are invested in, in the people uh, under which you serve, and um, uh, nothing more important. Absolutely. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming in, uh, Chaplain Scheich and Chief Jackson. I know your schedules are super, super busy, but it was, uh, I think, really important to talk about trust and how trust is uh, two ways. You have to trust your people, and in turn, they're going to trust you back. Some, some of that is building those positive relationships and demonstrating good judgment and expertise and allowing your airmen to fail intelligently so they can develop their own uh, and being consistent along the way. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Hey, our privilege. Thanks. It was an honor. Thank you. So this was the Dover podcast. You can catch it on multiple different avenues, but this is hosted by the Dover Spark Lab, i.e. the Innovation Lab. If you've got a great idea for a podcast or something that you want to do in your squadron, you can reach out to Major Patterson Packy Hill, and he will hook you up with the people that you need to get the job done.